Welcome to our podcast. We talk all about the excessively nice type C personality. I'm Dr. Corey Gleed, a clinical psychologist. I'm Anna White, a former Wall Streeter and recovering type C. Type C people hate disappointing others, carry the weight of the world on their shoulders, avoid conflict, and suppress emotions. Many of us identify as type C. Our health has suffered and we want to learn new ways of living healthier. On this podcast, we'll pull from our own experiences and also learn from experts. We hope you enjoy the show. Hey everyone, we've got a great podcast today. Our guest is Lisa Solbakken and our topic today is assertive body language, which Lisa knows a ton about. So just a little bit about her. She's a very respected attorney here in New York City. She's the co-founder of law firm Arkansas Bakken. Her firm specializes in business litigations and negotiations, including matters of business development, contract and securities law, regulatory investigations, and employment. She appears regularly in state and federal courts throughout the United States in connection with her practice. And she also represents clients in regulatory matters before big-time regulators like the SEC and FINRA. She's appeared on national television as a legal expert, and she's known for her no-nonsense style, her willingness to take on adversaries no matter what their size, and her unflinchingly honest legal advice. So Lisa, welcome. We're so happy to have you. And let's just start with you telling us a little bit about your background and what led you to becoming an attorney. Well, first of all, that was some intro, so thank you for that. And thank you very much for having me. Let's see, my road to becoming a lawyer. I think I was one of those people that was sort of, I think, blessed that I knew at a very young age what I wanted to do. Um, I was raised in a very blue collar family. Neither one of my parents went to college, but it was a very rule following, hardworking bunch. And it became clear to me that I wanted to know sort of the rules of the game and, you know, the rules of life and what is that, but understanding the law and what it can do for you and what it can do for others. And then I also, also had, being the youngest of four, had a strong sense of injustice. If I, if I, if I wanted that, you know, that second bowl of ice milk, which is what we had, we didn't have ice cream because that's for fancy pants. If we, if I wanted that second bowl of ice, ice milk, I needed to be able to throw some elbows as the youngest of four. So all of that sort of culminated in a path directly to law school. (laughs) That's awesome. When we, so you and I had drinks a while back and we had this really interesting conversation about body language and how a lot of women struggle with establishing their own presence. And so in the legal world, talk to us a little bit about what non-assertive body language looks like and Did you ever struggle with this in the earlier days of your career? We'd love to hear just about your own development when it comes to this. And we'd love just to hear about your own development. And did you have any natural abilities here or did you really have to work at it? So very good question. And I kind of want to start with with a, a word that you used. And we sort of had used that word in anticipation of of me coming on today. And I thought it was interesting. It's non-assertive body language. And when I was thinking about that, I was like, is that really the right word, right? Because having a presence and owning your own space isn't necessarily being assertive. And being, to my mind, being non-assertive isn't necessarily a negative, while being assertive is a positive, especially not in the law, 
right? Because if you come on too strong, especially as a woman in a male-dominated area, it's the, the reaction is going to be to recoil, right? So for me, I thought that was just an interesting word that you might want to play with a little bit and say, like, is it really a non-assertive dichotomy? Because I don't know that I'm willing to sign up for owning my own space as being assertive, right? I think it's just owning your own space, being confident that you are a participant in what's going on around you. So that, I just wanted to sort of raise that just because I don't want it to fall into what, what I'm going to talk about. Some of the things I'm going to talk about aren't particularly assertive, right? Um, or anti-not assertive. But in terms of how I felt and, and, and how I grew, I definitely had to work on it. I think it is 100% a learnable skill. I think there's an aspect of it that, that I'm a former athlete, right? So when you're a former athlete, you know you have to practice in order to reach a certain goal. And I think that was hugely helpful to me in a couple of ways. One, in dealing with a male-dominated world, right? Because you kind of don't care who your adversary is when you're playing a sport. You're not focused on that. But you're also focused on, I need a certain skill set to, to win or be effective. And that's exactly how I looked at body language when I was developing as a, a younger lawyer and frankly, how I still look at it today. It's so important to me that it's something that I read about on my spare time, right? Like I'm like one of those, you know, dorky people who are in, you know, Barnes and Noble on Broadway reading like, you know, this book written by the FBI guy about the importance of body language and like what it means and what you're actually, you know, sort of subconsciously communicating to people that you're working with. So that's a very, very long answer to, yes, it's a learnable skill. No, I didn't know what's happening. I mean, I will say I got the, the wacky hair I had certainly when I was younger. Now I wear Converse, you know, and change into heels before court, but I used to have a penchant for the high heel. So I had other things to help along my presence, but 100% now, I think it's more authentic given my age and my experience and, and, and learned. I have oh, just want to highlight one thing you said, which is being a participant, I'm reading, being a participant in what's going on around you. I think that is a really important just phrase that you said. And I just want to highlight that because I think that uh, for people with type C, they aren't a, a full participant. But I also want to go back to the question that Anna asked and get you to be more specific. What would you say is body language that isn't showing someone that you are wanting to be part of the conversation or the discussion or feeling confident. Right. And I think it's funny when you just said that thing about type C personalities, I should say my, I, I associate with this a lot. My sister is one of those people. She's a very nurturing individual. And when I say not, when, when I, when we talk about being a participant, what my sister would do is she wants to make sure everybody else is interacting well, right? So she wants to make sure her children are being seen and heard or that her, she was, you know, a teacher for a very long time, like that her, that the various teachers who were at the table were communicating well. And is there anything she can do to facilitate that, right? As opposed to Jill being there for Jill's sake. See there, I, I said I wasn't going to say her name, but I just did. And so, again, I think that is, it, it does sort of circle back into the behaviors, the sort of like, not like hanging about on the fringe, right? 
making sure everyone else is okay. Do you have the water? Do you have, you know, did you hear what X and X said? And like, you know, before you know it, you're like the MC or something, but you're not really the person whose opinion is being heard or who's doing the persuading or who's being persuaded, right? Because you're so busy making sure everybody else is okay. Um, and I think the way that that can manifest is physically by where you stand. I think it can be manifested by how you carry your shoulders, you know, and that's one of the, you know, uh, tips or tricks that we can go over, but like, you know, how you literally, I'm going to keep, you know, I guess this is the phrase that I can't, that, that I sort of thought a lot about when I was thinking about today is like how you occupy your own space. Let's talk about those little tips and tricks about how we can own our space better. And I'm super curious about, you know, on your own sort of development, where you started versus where you ended up and kind of how you developed those skills along the way. Was it sort of just active observation or did you have any coaches or people that you were, you know, engaged with in mentoring or, or, or how did that all sort of work out? Right. So a little bit of, frankly, all of the above. Right. So I think I had, you know, like to start with one of my tips or tricks, which is, a, you know, a, a sort of an obvious point, but standing. Right. And but it, what's funny about the way that a person, a person's posture is you stop thinking about it and you can go to a default where you start to crouch down or you would I sort of through muscle memory. Right. Make myself think. How am I standing? Are my shoulders back? You know, and I think about that in cycles when I'm having a conversation with an adversary or with a judge or whomever, right? It's not something that you think about just when you're walking in. It's something that you should be constantly aware of. And the reason why is because it affects the way you feel, at least for me, it affects the way you feel about yourself, right? I feel one way about myself when I am standing up tall. I feel quite differently if I've let myself shrink. So, you know, there I would be sort of very conscious of, and, and, and again, to relate it back to sports, it does become muscle memory. Like now I'll even see, like see myself in court, straighten up, right? Without having actually consciously thought about it, because that's what I, that's what I do now. I think the other sort of tip and trick, and I think this is important for women in particular is I don't know if you guys experience this, but having a like a stance, like a, a a stance that you take when you're not being active, like it's always like awkward. Like am I sit, am I like this? Am I sitting with my my arms crossed? Am I sad? Do I have my hands in my pocket? What am I doing with myself? And I made a decision, like a conscious decision, as to how I would stand when I'm not an active speaker. And that you know, uh, being the child of a marine turned out for me to be the at ease stance that they use in the military, believe it or not. When I'm in court, I stand with my hands behind my back and my shoulders sort of squared off to the person with whom I'm interacting. And the reason why I like that is because it's respectful. It's engaging. It's not super assertive where it's putting someone off, right? It shows interest. And, you know, that's, again, over time using muscle memory, now it just becomes a thing I do. And I genuinely feel more engaged when my torso, when I'm not holding my arms like this, or my hands aren't in my pocket, 
right? And that I'm, you know, so I know it sounds weird, right? <laughs> Having never served myself, but that's, you know, that's something that, that I found to be effective over time. I love this because I think one thing that type C people really struggle with is feeling powerless. And so any little incremental changes that we can make to make ourselves feel just a little bit more powerful and assert our presence a little bit more is helpful at the margin, right? So if it is posture of thinking about your stance, and I think, you know, these are things that a lot of people just actively don't think about, including myself, you know, and especially start to develop these habits at a younger age, then it's only going to, you know, help you in the, in the long run. A hundred percent, a hundred percent. No, um, one of the other things that you asked is, you know, did I develop it over time or did, I, I mean, and did I have that? I definitely had mentors over time assist, assist me. And I had just, you know, sort of two stories in particular. One, I worked for a female judge and she noticed that I was sculpting about when I was doing my work and, or scurrying might be better instead of the, the right word. And things were bumpy, as she said to me once. And that was like, you know, knife through my heart. All my entire being was, I just wanted to be a good law clerk. I was so happy to have that job. And she said, you know what your problem is? She's like, she said, you're smart. And so if you don't understand something, you need to ask a question. <laughs> she said, just ask the question and stop assuming that you need to go in the back room and figure it out or figure it out later. Because she's like, what you're not, she was basically saying, I think on some level, I wasn't really engaging. I was trying so hard to be, to give the perception that I was on top of things that I wasn't on top of it. So that I, you know, I totally took to heart and I'm now a huge question asker to the annoyance of many. Um, But uh, then I think the other, the other, tidbit I had was a, a partner for whom I worked at one of these white shoe firms. He said, you know what, Lisa, he said, you wear your heart on your sleeve. He said, that's either going to work for you or against you. And you need to figure out which one it's going to be. And that made me think hard about, okay, so now, you know, how do I want, how do I want myself to come across as a litigator? And by the way, I think that was advice that a lot of people would take issue with sometimes like, oh, that's like an aggressive thing for him to say. I am eternally grateful that he was honest enough with me to point out that I have a certain, you know, personality, right. And, and I'm either going to try to put myself in a box, which may not work, or I'm going to figure out how to make this work. Can you talk a little bit about that? Because I totally feel like that is something that people with type C can really relate to. You know, the wonderful things about people with type C is they're excessively caring right? They're super, super caring, super thoughtful, and feel very responsible uh, for other people. Yeah, that's your dog is agreeing. (laughs) So I just so I'm what I'm hearing you say is that you are a person who's very emotional, and cares a lot. And Mm -hmm. so how have you so what have you done to in response to that advice? How have you handled that? I think that that by the way, I love being 50. I'm just going to say it because as, as I look back, I, I see that there was so much transition going on in my 30s and my 40s with this, you know, and um, it's great to be 50 and to like be able to look at it and see what, ha- you know, how that sort of transpired. But, you know, there there were stops and starts. I mean, I think the the great thing about a caring person is that they're passionate. I'm de facto, I'm de facto passionate, right? And so, 
you know, that is when you're looking for a gladiator, something a client wants to see. Um, also in a male-dominated uh, environment. And so how do you handle that as a woman? How do you diffuse situations? How do you develop a camaraderie when you don't go out for drinks? Like, you know, and I have my own views on that. And that's not like, you know, I, you know, try to not do that because I think it can always blur a line. And you know what I mean? So instead, how am I relating to these men, especially because like I don't watch, you know, Sunday night football or whatever. And humor for me has become a huge part of it, right? Like it has been become a way that I feel most, almost most comfortable relating to teasing, say, Hey buddy, like what's going on? Like, you know, you look a little tired today, something like that, where it's, you know, I feel like when people ask me where I developed that aspect of my personality, I say, when I was growing up, my parents uh, when my brother and I decided to go to college, my parents had to come up with money. And what's the old fashioned way of coming up with money? You open a business and the business my parents opened, right? So you can take, you probably have to cut this out, but take money under the table. And the way that my parents did that was by opening a deli. And, and I remember working at the deli and like, that was part of my persona. Somebody comes in, they're miserable. They're a trucker. They work 18 hour days you know, they come, they came into our deli and like, I was smiling. I knew what cigarettes they smoked because back then people smoked. I knew how they took their coffee because back then, you know, there was no Starbucks. And so I'm reading people and integrating sort of what will make them comfortable with what is in my personality, if that makes any sense. Um, and it's something that you know, I actually really read a fair amount about, like, to be honest, like, so I've, I've read about different personality types you know, what they need at times when I've had senior level people who I thought were extremely difficult to deal with. I consciously looked to figure out what personality type they were and to not shrink, right? Or become or change my person, like personality per se, per se but what are the ways that people, you know, suggest interacting with a narcissist? <laughs> Right. Like, what do you do? You know, um, what do you do when you have a job to accomplish and this narcissist is standing in the way between yourself and your job? Right. And by the way, it can be a completely lovable narcissist. It doesn't have to be a terrible person. So so without a doubt is something that I spent a fair amount of time working on. And I think there's, you know, ways I don't think everybody needs to be reading all those silly books that I read. As long as you're conscious of it, I think you get better at it over time. So I have always loved, Lisa, just that you're so authentic in your personal style and you didn't feel this like need to conform. I mean, I know when I went into my first job in finance, everybody kind of dressed the same way, looked the same way, talked the same way, same lingo. And and you felt this like enormous pressure to conform. And, and you know, that impacted me a lot. I always felt very self-conscious about, oh my gosh, am I talking in the right way? Do, you know, I had, a, I worked for a firm that had this like really strict dress code. And so you were constantly worried about, but you are your own authentic person. And I'm so curious about just how you thought about that as time progressed over your career. Like, okay, this is, this is who I am. And this is who I'm going to be. And I, I'm not going to conform to this white shoe law firm sort of persona. And, you know, how, how, and it's worked so well for you because I think your clients right. know that they're absolutely going to go to bat for you. But I think type C people really struggle with 
being bold and confident and, you know, authentic sometimes. And so any advice you have there? I will say I experienced the same thing. You know, I was at a big law firm who I love and I could say who they are. I have a great relationship with them as Wilkie Farr and Gallagher. It's one of those larger law firms. I remember walking in and every one of my female colleagues had like a Brooks brother suit on and, you know, straight hair and like appropriate earrings. And I'm just sitting here and like my, like, you know, express separates, like what the hell, you know, how am I going to compete with this? And I, so I think I did try to conform, but failed miserably. And that worked for me. (laughs) And I think I was sort of recognizing that it wasn't going to work. I mean, let's, it's not, it's really not, none of this stuff is like really fairy tales, right? Like at the end of the day, I ended up leaving a large law firm, I think because ultimately at that time, it wasn't a match for my partnership, right? I was better suited to be a partner with Stanley Arkin, who was known as like, you know, when I said narcissist before, lovable narcissist, I wasn't, definitely wasn't talking about him. Definitely not. But, um, you know, I, I, I think failing, and it's funny, like if there's a lawyer, Jerry Spence, famous, famous lawyer, when, before I went to law school, one of the other things I did was sort of read books by well-known trial lawyers, him being one of them. And he said, you know, you got to have body bags. Um, every good trial, trial lawyer has body bags, which is something that we all need to, I think, get comfortable with, which, and what he meant was, you're going to have clients for whom you lose, Right. Like you're going to have things at which you fail, right? And you just have to keep going. And you can't, I feel that, you know, and I feel like, listen, I don't think I'm not, not type C. Like I, I share with my sister some characteristics. And I think one of the things that certainly she and I share is if we mess something up, it's like the end of the effing world, right? And it's like, we're so apologetic. Like we could like literally, like, I think Jill and I might be responsible for global warming, not positive, but pretty sure we did something in the seventies that created that whole thing. And so, but what I feel like, you know, failing at being cookie cutter and, and, and refusing, I guess, to stay down, right. Again, youngest of four, second bowl of ice milk, you know, okay. So how am I going to get back in this game? You know, and I, and I have to say, I am extremely fortunate. They're my, my clients, largely a male client base, are terrific. They don't see gender in my view. But but I think, and so I, I, you know, I think the other thing I wanted to say is I think that times are changing, if you will. Like, I think my daughter probably deals with these issues differently than women of our wonderful vintage, should I say? Like, you know what I mean? But for our generation, you know, it was not, it, we weren't being told these things. <laughs> we had to learn them. And again, I'll, I'll also say this I, about my sister, because I, th- this topic is a little bit near and dear to my heart. I feel that she, t- she was type C and she has evolved over time. Like she has, you know, she went from, you know, being the teacher's aide to being the teacher. Then she was our union rep, which you have to have a set of cojones to do that. Right. And I feel that she, you know, she and I, you know, developed together right? Over time. Like, you know what I mean? And so it's just so doable and it's never too late type of thing. I hear everything that you're saying and I'm trying to sort of pick out like nuggets that can be really helpful just to sort of repeat and highlight. And I I think what I hear you saying is also just a ton of self-acceptance in the sense that kind of knowing if I try to be something I'm not, it's not going to work. And I think, you know, recognizing that 
trying something on or trying to be or uh, stand or look or wear something in a different way. You know, maybe I should do that. You know, maybe that would be helpful. And then just kind of realizing that's not going to work for me. And I, I just love that because ultimately being authentic, being yourself is really taking care of yourself. It's, 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 it's loving yourself. So, and I also love what you said about the, um, the law professor, because, you know, body bags, I, I think, although no one wants to make a mistake and, as we all know, it's so painful and we will 100% bring mm. tape, you know, although no one, many of our listeners may not know what a tape is, but, you know, um, rewinding. But I do think recognizing that really ultimately, we first of all, we learn the most from our mistakes and also in order to take risks and to put yourself out there and to be engaged, you're going to make mistakes. And I would say this too, being authentic, you're not going to be everybody's cup of tea and you just need to sort of deal with that, I think that you are more likely to get respect than if you are inauthentic, right? So I would rather have disagreement and respect, right? And and then, you know, disagreement born of whatever, my failure to engage, whatever, whatever it may be. You know what I mean? I think it's a lot, it's a lot on some level, it's fear-based. I mean, one of the other things I will say is before I would go into a courtroom, I still do it from time to time. But before I used to go into a courtroom, I would stop myself and say, nothing that happens in that courtroom will affect my daughter's love. Nothing that happens in that courtroom will affect my family's love for me. Nothing will that will affect my family's health, right? So, all right, why am I freaking the F out? Why don't I just calm down and do my job, which is to communicate these, you know, three or four essential and important facts to this judge for my client who's counting on me for whom I'm a fiduciary, right? That's my job, not to get up there and think, oh my God, you know what I mean? Like global warming, right? So (laughs) I love that. I love that. I hope you don't mind. I want to just get back to one question that I thought of when we were talking about the tips and strategies. What about eye contact or, you know, where you're looking when you're talking to someone or when you're giving an argument, talk to me a little bit about that. We'd love to hear about your thoughts. Yeah. I mean, I think eye contact and a firm handshake are very, very critical. Again, this is a bit old fashioned. You're hearing how I was raised by somebody from the silent generation, clearly. But I think eye contact is just essential. And I read from a person's handshake. I read from a person's eye contact. We've all been at that party where somebody sort of, you know, look and and you can see their eyes going somewhere else. Right. And it makes you feel like shit. Don't be that person, right? Because there's no reason to be that person. Everybody's got something interesting to say at the end of the day. You know what I mean? And if you're looking for the next best thing, they're going to be looking for the next best thing. And there's, you know, the opportunity for a connection is lost. Um, so I think eye contact is is huge, both whether you're the person like who's got a lot of people to meet or you're doing the meeting, it doesn't matter. There was something else, Lisa, when we were having drinks, I remember you saying about taking a little step forward when you're talking or when you were presenting Uh, a case. What was that? Because that stuck in my mind and I couldn't quite remember what that was, but it was some body language tip that was kind of interesting. So this is one of my favorite stories and I think it's critical. This goes into the aggressive bucket, right? We were talking about non-aggressive and aggressive body language. 
So as a litigator, um, and I think at any job, right, you can, there are going to be times when people have active disagreements. And we've all had active disagreements with the personality type that feels that if he yells or she yells loud enough, and if they look aggressive enough or mean enough, they're going to, somehow, they're going to convince everybody in the room that they're right, you know? And that, by the way, is not a stupid theory because sometimes it actually works, right? Sometimes they have the effect that they want, but not with your listeners because next time that happens and it was, you know, the way it happened for me, it was unconscious, but now it's very conscious was I was arguing with a partner who was senior to me. He was standing in the hallway. He was unhappy with my analysis of something and I'll never forget it. He sort of took a step towards me. Right. Because in his world, like he's sort of a bully and he was going to take a step towards me to dominate. Like, it's just, it's an effort to dominate. I know that sounds dramatic, but that's what it is. And for whatever reason that day, I wasn't having it. So I took a step towards him and you should have seen his face. It like blew his mind. And I loved it. I was like, oh my God, I have to do this every time. And so I kind of like looked into that and it's actually called mirroring, right? Which is mirroring has like different connotations for all. And Corey, you would know this, right? Because I'm sure that has different implications with children, yada, yada. But in a, in a conflict, I think it's important to mirror the body language of the person who you're addressing such that they don't feel that they're getting the upper hand. And I will tell you, it's just you know, there's got to be a part of you just having fun with it on the outside, like sort of looking and watching the faces. It just like, is like, oh my God, she just took a step towards me. Right. Because what does that mean? Does that mean we're going to go? You know what I mean? We're not going to go. We're freaking professionals. Like, you know what I mean? But on some, like, like, um, I don't know, like animalistic way, that's what our bodies are picking up on. So yeah, I'm a big advocate of mirroring in a, in a, in a conflict. Lisa, this has been awesome and hilarious. Um, <laughs> you're amazing. Thank you for reminding me about ice milk because I also grew up on ice milk and also <laughs> powdered dry milk is what we drank in my house. We didn't buy it by the carton. We mixed it with water. So <laughs> that is bringing back some really good memories. Anyway, we can't thank you enough. This has been awesome. And Corey, is there anything you want to add for the wrap up? No, I love it because I think, you know, we often talk about things to do differently, say differently. And I just love the idea that there are a lot of body language messages that people don't realize that are so important. And I also just love what you're, you know, talk when you talk, you basically say, I still have to remind myself of this, right? It's not just something that naturally occurs. I've learned these things. I've read these books. I think that is just so important that it's, it's all stuff, as you've said a couple of times that you can learn, you can work on, you can get better at. As you said, you you were an athlete, and so practicing these things, starting small, we often talk about that. So I just think this is great, great perspective, and hopefully super helpful. We are all a work in progress, so stay tuned for next time. Thanks for listening, and we look forward to our next episode. Thank you, guys. If you're interested in being a guest on our podcast, or there's a topic you want to talk about, please get in touch. Our email address is typectoolbox at gmail.com. 
If there's a story you'd like to share, we're putting together a book on Type C, and we can always hide identities if desired. Check out our blog and Instagram for more on Type C, typectoolbox.com and at typectoolbox. And leave us a review on the podcast. Thank you for listening today. This podcast is for informational and entertainment purposes only. It's not meant to be a substitute for mental health treatment. If you're having a mental health emergency, please dial 911. If you're looking for mental health treatment, please visit the National Alliance on Mental Illness website at NAMI, which is N-A-M-I dot org.